Keep your Bibles open at the text, at Second Peter. I want to just reread verse 5 and, and focus on the phrase that we're looking at this morning. Peter said, also for this very reason, you know, we have everything that pertains to life and godliness, he said in the previous verse. For this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith. Just imagine a sermon on giving all diligence. Sounds like a pretty quick one because we know we're supposed to give all diligence, right? That seems easy enough. We know that we're supposed to be growing in the Lord. It's a necessity. I mean, from a standpoint of physical growth, if we are looking at babies and they are not growing, do you suppose you'd be concerned for the health and well-being of your child? I know I would. You know why? Because we've got doctors that let you know what percentile we're at all the time. So you know that if you're, well, they, they need more food, they need more vitamin this and, and whatever, mineral that, and, and so on and so forth. We want our children to grow. Not when we get older, <laughs> we don't care to grow so much. But we understand growth is necessary. Spiritually, we know that growth is absolutely needed. That's why, you know, the passages we're looking at in Ephesians this morning, and even right now, the passage that we are looking at right here, that we may grow in the knowledge of Him. It's an amazing thing. That statement, growing in the knowledge of our Savior, growing in the knowledge of the Lord, happens over and over and over. In fact, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, we're told to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we know that growth is necessary, and if we're not going to grow, we are told, just as was read for us by Terry this morning, if we don't grow, we see the result. We know that we become useless and unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord, and we know the end result of that is we're blind. We're short-sighted if we're not growing in the Lord. We, we forget what has been done for us. In this case, purification from former sins. There's a reason for that growth. God has done something for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that right now, that when we're looking at growth and we know all these things, it's academic to us. Yet, let me ask you this question. How many of us have actually stopped growing? You know who will not want to answer that question is the one guilty of it. Who wants to admit that I'm not growing? And some would say, well, I, you know, I'm growing, just not as fast as maybe I'd like. And yet we're told to give all diligence. And so let me ask that question. When coming to this concept of giving all diligence, has the knowledge of truth, that is, the necessity of our growth, mean we've always been giving all diligence? In other words, we can know we're supposed to give all diligence, but are we doing so? How many of you can honestly, genuinely answer that with, from day one, I've been giving all diligence? So we know the truth of what we're supposed to be doing. We know we're supposed to be giving all diligence. We know we're supposed to be growing. The fact is, if not all of us, almost every one of us, at some point, does not give all diligence adding to our faith. I can speak from personal experience. And I love the Lord. And I desire to grow in Him. I desire to give Him my whole life. But I can, if I were to be very blunt and honest, say, I don't always give all diligence. 
I don't even give my whole mind even when I know I'm supposed to. I'll give you a trivial because I don't want to get too deep and personal because that's embarrassing for me. But I'll give you a trivial sense and trivial only from a standpoint it could be worse. This morning, did all of you give 100% of your mind and your effort in discerning the Lord's body? Even though we know we're supposed to? See, I went from thinking about the Lord and my train of thought went, wow, something completely had nothing to do with it. This is how embarrassing it was. I somehow went onto a thought on gangrene. I don't know how I got there. I don't know how, I mean, my mind was serious about the Lord and, and what He has done for us. How I got there, I don't know. I didn't want to go there, but I went there. And when we were giving unto the Lord, my mind again went from giving to the various works as was prayed about that we are engaged in and talked about. And so from there to something that had nothing to do with it. Why is that? Because I know my heart was give 100%. Think about the Lord. Discern His body. But even as a trivial thing like that, now magnify that to our walk with the Lord. How many of us are willing to say, you know what, I've not always given all diligence. I may not even right now be giving myself to all diligence. I really need to listen to this. Because Peter has said something that will affect my life. And this is a problem I believe that many, if not all of us, have in our lives. Maybe you're here and you've just given your all from day one till now. And if that be the case, I'm so glad for you. And that's really a wonderful blessing that you can give all diligence to the Lord. Adding every virtuous quality to your life. But I've got to tell you, there are many reasons why we don't give Him all diligence. And we're going to look at some of those reasons this morning. The first one is because we live in the flesh. I want you to look at Romans chapter 7. And the Apostle Paul is not making a case for himself to say, well, you know, here's my excuse. This is the reason why I behave the way I do. Because look at what he is saying. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, he says, I speak to those who know the law. What does he say about those who know the law? Those who know that the law is good. Here's what he says. Beginning in verse 14, he says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, is Paul speaking of himself or speaking of this individual person as if it personifies him? Doesn't matter. If it's speaking of Paul, he was a godly man. He had a pure conscience. If speaking in general about man, the man who believes on Jesus Christ, the one who knows that Jesus died for his sins, the one who longs to do God's will under the law and by way of the law, doesn't matter. The person who loves God knows that the law is spiritual, just as the apostle himself knew. He says in verse 15, for what I am doing, I don't understand. Why is that? Here's the reason. For what I will to do, what I want to do, what I intend to do, that I do not practice. In other words, I know to do good, and the law has taught me what to do to do that good, and I intend to do it, but then I don't practice it. And then he goes on to say just the reverse. But what I hate, that I do. Can you relate to the Apostle? 
can relate all too well. There are things that I hate that I do. I hate covetousness. I hate it with all my soul. And I'm guilty of it. You know how it was brought to my life. One of the elders at South Fayette, I guess he loves his grandchildren and likes for them to enjoy things, but he bought a 3D TV. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know what 3D TV was. I heard the commercial, saw it. Wow. <laughs> so, like, watching football on that thing was amazing. Watching meatballs, finally with meatballs, or whatever the name of the show was, was pretty cool. But you know what? I was like, man. And I wasn't the only one, right, Davises? <laughs> they all said, Dad, Mitch, yeah, I know what we should get. <laughs> man, I hate covetousness. And I want all these things. Because it would make life so much better, and so much easier, so much more efficient, and so on. Covetousness. I hate it. You know what I also hate? I hate white lies, and I hate lies. And I'm guilty of it. I want to look better than I really am at times, and so I might stretch something out a little bit more so that you'll think a little bit better of me. I hate it. Have you ever done such a thing? You see, I don't think Paul's the only person who has to deal with this. See, the things that I hate, I do. The things that I intend on, the things that I want to do, those things that are good, I don't do. Now, when Paul says that, do you suppose he did good? Absolutely. The scriptures are enumerated with passages that show the things that he had done to the glory of God. There are things that he refrained from doing, the things that he had done, and the things that he hated, he had um, exposed. So he did good things. And he refrained from evil things. But yet, he makes it very clear, we live in the flesh. That is the whole reason why when you read Romans chapter 7, it comes to a very pinnacle point in the very last two verses. O wretched men that I am, verse 24, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He's talking of a situation in which without the Lord, we have no hope. And of course, he gives thanks to God for what he has done. From a practical standpoint then, there's another reason why we don't always give all diligence. And I believe it's because we're not appreciative enough of what has been done for us. Why don't you look at Luke chapter 7. Jesus is with a Pharisee who is guilty of such self-righteousness. And this self-righteous Pharisee invited Jesus into his home. His name is Simon. And Jesus understands the character, the nature of this Pharisee and gives him a parable. And in verse 40 of this text, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they, that is, either of them, had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? If you had a $5,000 debt to pay, or you had a $5 million debt to pay, 
Do you suppose you would be much more grateful for the debt that is much greater? That's the reason why Jesus gave the illustration. Because he knew that Simon would understand the difference between the small debt and the large debt. I want you to know, problem with us not giving all diligence has something to do with thanksgiving on our end, or lack thereof. It does. When, when children are given gifts, at some point they get used to gift giving. Maybe we give them too many. Wink, wink. <laughs> and then we give them a gift that, you know, to them it's like, it's not much. You know, I've received better gifts than this in the past. They don't seem thankful. How do you suppose it makes you feel, the one who gave that gift? Well, imagine on the reverse side, then, a debt being paid. A debt. I try to imagine what it's like to have a house mortgage paid off. I've never had one paid off. In fact, I've had to go against that debt to have more debt to pay for various bills, some privileged, some absolutely necessary. I hate that. And I don't have the means to pay it all off right now. If someone were, my rich uncle, I don't have one by the way, but if I had a rich uncle and he paid off, I would be, wow. I can't imagine why you would do such a thing, let alone doing it. But I would be very thankful. I probably write him more than I write to mom and dad right now, probably just because of the, the Thanksgiving. It's one of those things. From a practical standpoint, we don't always give all diligence because we're not so thankful, or we're thankful, but that thankfulness goes to the back of our minds rather than the forefront of our minds. It comes to a point where we know what Jesus has done, we're thankful for what he has done, but we don't manifest it as clearly as maybe when we first obeyed the gospel, or when something happens to us and it comes to our remembrance again, and then we're thankful. And so the more we appreciate something, or in this case someone, I believe the more we manifest that appreciation. I can tell. When our children are thankful for, for various things about what they've received, they'll show it for a period of time. They show that Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful thing. And I, as a parent, love when I see my daughters and my sons show appreciation for the things that they're grateful for. It's a wonderful feeling as a father. But I think we don't always show that appreciation because of the kind of life that we, lifestyle that we have. Brethren, stop and think about this. How many of you would qualify as a workaholic? A lot of people here that probably would qualify. And if you don't qualify yourself, your spouse, your brother, your sister, your mom, or your dad, or your son, or your daughter would. Your neighbor would. Works all the time. And it's a great quality to work, right? But what if there's something greater than vocation here on earth? In fact, I think that vocation and recreation and all things that are not wrong in and of themselves and some things that are good in a limited fashion keep us from truly being thankful. What happens when you're at work 24-7, seven days a week, and just work, 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 work? You don't have time for the Lord. There may be times during your day that you think about the Lord, and it may actually help you with you, some of your decisions and what have you, but it's hard when you're always working, 
or when you're always in this and you're always in that. And I've had moms tell me, oh, I just, I'm flustered because I'm always having to run Johnny to soccer and Billy to baseball and Max to football and Betty to gymnastics. And oh. I've heard it from Christians. I'm so busy. And then we don't have a time for such quietness, if you will, to give ourselves to the, the Lord's work. And so it's very important that we understand that there are problems with our giving all diligence. It happens, if not to every single one of us, to just about, I venture to say. And that's what the problem is. When we get so busy with all these types of activities, brethren, we're short-sighted. We don't see what we already know to be, from a truth standpoint, what's most important. And that's the Lord. And that's why He says you're blind or you're short-sighted. You become unfruitful and unbarren, or, or barren, if you will. You're not able to give fruit, to produce fruit unto the Lord. You're not able to add to your faith and to do all the wonderful qualities and virtues that are spoken of in that list from verses 5 through 8, or 5 through 7, I should say. And so, if that's our problem, what's the motivation? If we know the problem is us, our flesh, and we know that the problem is this life that we live in that consumes a lot of our day, then how can we be motivated to give the Lord all diligence? I believe we need to keep fresh the promise that God has given to us. Go back to the text in Second Peter, please. If you're, if you're not already there, look at it again in verse 4. I'm going to back up to verse 2 and focus in on verse 4. And notice this. Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given to us. Look at what He's given to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to uh, or which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. What are those exceedingly great and precious promises? What are they? Salvation through Jesus Christ. A heavenly home. Fellowship with God for eternity. And the list goes on. Brethren, those three are more than enough for us to know that if we are to be growing in the Lord and to give all diligence to the Lord, then we're not going to be motivated to do so unless this is always in the forefront of our mind. That is why in our Bible class in Ephesians, we are taught to let the Word of God or the Word of Christ richly dwell within us or to let Jesus dwell within us. Because if He's dwelling in us, and if His Word is dwelling in us, it's on the forefront of our mind. It's not the back burner. His precious and magnificent promises need to be fresh in our minds if we're going to understand that we're going to give Him all our time, diligently serving Him, diligently adding to our faith. And we need to spend much time in these matters then, remembering His death. It's one of the things that I love when, when Julie and I first uh, visited here, when in fact before we visited here, speaking to Phil on the phone, he said, listen, we have one service, and we spend one of those hours in our service on Sunday mornings primarily devoted to the Lord and His death. 
and it encourages me. It really does. To spend more time in that area, I think, is really the primary reason why the church came together in the first century. They remembered that. And today, in many congregations, it becomes just a small sliver of time, excuse me, Malia, small portion of time in our worship to the Lord. But we need to remember his death. Can you imagine what he's done for you? You know, from a personal experience standpoint, before I was a Christian, I honestly thought, in all my arrogance, I honestly thought I was the all-American kid. Had a scholarship, athletic scholarship. End up getting, if you can believe it or not, I can't, <laughs> minimal type scholarship from a mental, academic standpoint. I kind of... I know the girls probably think that's kind of funny. <laughs> Everything going for me. But I was engaged in all kinds of ungodly activity, from sexual immorality to drunkenness. And I'm ashamed of it. I wasn't ashamed of it before I was a Christian. That's the way I lived. But that morning when I learned of Jesus Christ and I learned how to be, according to God's Word, a truly holy person, I realized I was lost in sin. I was so thankful. I could not even look at my girlfriend. I could not even look at her. I could not go out and do those things without it disgusting me of the things that I was engaged in before. And so when I returned back to the university, all my wrestling teammates are like, well, what happened to you? We're going out this Friday now. How come you're not coming out with us? I am so grateful that I learned salvation through Jesus Christ. I remember his death a lot. It affects the way I live my life. More and more, I have no problem because of what God has done for me, for Mitch Davis, praising his name. Because he took away my things. He made me clean. He made me whole and made me pure. Brethren, what does he do for you? Is it fresh in your mind that you spend much time thinking about these things? Because the more and more you think about them, the more readily you're able to add to your faith those virtuous qualities that we are to use so that we can diligently give ourselves to the Lord. Do you easily confess his name before others? I can tell you there are many brothers and sisters in Christ that, that won't do this because one reason or another, I don't have the right words. I don't know exactly what to say um, because that person might be offended at me. I mean, I could, I'm just thinking through the years of, of things that I've heard, things that I've thought myself. But when you have on the forefront of your mind what the Lord has done for you and all those great and precious promises, You cannot help but talk to others about the Lord. You cannot help it. You enjoy doing it, even knowing it may cause you to lose someone's respect because you love the Lord or that you give praise to Him for everything. But you see, when you spend much time in these areas of your life, it is so much easier to give the Lord all diligence. But what does it look like then? What does giving all diligence look like from a practical standpoint? Because we know what we're supposed to be doing, giving all diligence, adding to our faith, and so on and so forth. What does it look like? 
Well, I can tell you what it looks like from a practical standpoint. Children, those of you who are Christians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. That's what it looks like if, as a child, you're going to diligently give yourself. This is one aspect of many. You honor your parents. The Lord didn't give a caveat. You honor your parents. Parents, train up your children. Proverbs 22, verse 6, in the way they should go. Which way is that? Is it the way of a collegiate degree? Is that what was in mind by, by Solomon? Or by this wise writer? Is it the best job on the planet? Is it the best looking spouse? Is that what the way you train up your children? No. You train up your son and your daughter for heaven. There's nothing better. You know when, when life is over, none of these things that we're talking about, that job, that spouse from, from a vanity standpoint, none of that's going to matter then. It only matters because we live in the flesh. None of it matters. But you train up your child in the way they should go. Because when the end comes, you know what parents are most upset about, most fearful over, most anxious about? is whether or not their child is going to obey the gospel and remain faithful to the Lord. That's what we do as parents. None of the other things matter. That's what all diligence looks like. And it's so easy as a parent to say, I am tired right now. I don't feel like it. I am too selfishly involved in this activity. And then we don't give all diligence. What else does it look like? Well, it looks like a young couple who aren't married, like Hebrews 13 tells us about fornication. Looks, it looks like this. A young couple who aren't married who flees youthful lusts when they're encountered with it. That's what it looks like. And it's embarrassing for me as a brother in Christ to know of my brothers and sisters in Christ that embrace it and actually flaunt it. I know of brethren that can say, well, you know what, I didn't mean to, I don't, I don't want to do these things, but I do it, versus I kind of imagine brethren ever saying, yeah, look at me, I'm cool. It blows my mind away. I cannot imagine that we would trample on the sacrifice of our Lord in that regard. But all diligence flees youthful lust. And we don't have to be youthful to flee youthful lust. What else does it look like? Looks like, as Ephesians chapter 6, you continue on, verses 5 through 9, when he was talking about bond servants and the masters in verse 9, bond servants in verses uh, 5 through 7 and possibly part of 8, is you render service to your master, or in modern day, to your employer, as unto the Lord. I can tell you, there's going to be times when you have your employers that you don't want to work for them in the way that you do, because, man, they don't care about me. They're not loyal to me. They just give me a paycheck is all I care about. Well, you give them the very best. You know why? Because you're doing it as unto the Lord. That's how you give all diligence. I can imagine that if you were to do that, how you would influence your boss, your employer. 
You would. Believe it or not, especially when you do it with a good heart, it changes everything. And it's such a thing that the world does not understand. This is knowledge that surpasses understanding to the ways of the world. Bosses, we're told in, in the text here, or in this case, the masters, you are supposed to treat your servants, he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verse 8 and 9. You treat them in a, in a godly way. Look at what he says. Verse 9, and you masters do the same to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. You treat them fairly. You treat them well. That's how you give all diligence as an owner, as a boss, as a manager to those under you. It blesses relationships well beyond just that business side of things. But that's what all diligence looks like. It also looks like a brother in Christ who lives with long-suffering alongside a weak Christian. That's what it looks like, all diligence. You know what long-suffering means, right? Suffering long. Not suffering short. Not being short-tempered. Suffering long. Brethren, are there people that do things that irritate you from a non-simple standpoint? See, you don't know this yet about me, but I don't know if this is wise or not, but one of the problems that, that I have, not, and no one's ever been ugly to me about it, but in my mind I think it can cause such. My body aches every day. And when I say ache, I feel old. No offense to my older brethren, I feel old. <laughs> my body creaks. I cannot play hide and seek with my children because it crackles and pops with every step. My body feels old. And so during services, all these things, all the time, i got to get that feeling so that my joints get loosened up and what have you. And so pretty soon, snap, crackle, and pop on the front row doing his thing. Now, hopefully Miss Sue doesn't hear it because she's right behind me. <laughs> but for Ken, and I'm not sure if David and Paulette have, have heard me cracking away, but that can be irritating for some. But like, please stop it. That's what goes on in my head. Well, how about when our brethren who are weak in the faith, now we deal with spiritual matters. And these are brethren that struggle with sin. They hate sin, but they struggle with it. How do you treat them? How do you handle relationships like that? You see, giving all diligence, we can look at Ephesians chapter 4, read verse 2 following, and Paul said, I beseech you therefore as a prisoner of the Lord that you walk worthy of the calling wherein with you've been called with all long suffering. That's in that list in verse 2 following. That's what we're talking about to be diligent in all things. Giving all diligence, add to your faith, knowledge. Add to knowledge virtue, and so on and so forth. The list goes. If you're going to look at it from a practical standpoint, we can go on and on and on with this list. But the bottom line is, in every aspect of your life, whatever you do, you're doing all in the name of the Lord. You're doing it unto His glory. And so that goes from the way you live to the way that you long for Him. And so you would, with all diligence, look at the pure milk of God's Word like a newborn babe. You desire it. 
How many of us desire it? Not for the sake of just having understanding so that I know more than the next person, so that I can tell them how wrong they are and how right I am. That's not what desiring the pure milk of the Word is supposed to be for. It's so that you would glory in the Lord for what He has done for you with all those exceedingly great and precious promises. That you would magnify His name. Yes, it would help you to diligently discern between good and evil. Yes, it would help you to rightly divide the word of truth. But it's all for the purpose of magnifying God and leading souls to Him. That's what all diligence looks like. The thing is, it's difficult. It's difficult for the reasons that we've just talked about. But it's difficult because unless we desire to be made like Him, to be transformed into the workmanship that God has for us, remember Ephesians 2 verse 10, that we are created in Christ Jesus, prepared for every good work. Unless you have that desire, you're not going to give all diligence. You're going to just beg, excuse me for those that are doing this. I'm not picking you out personally, picking out generally. But if it's you personally, then it's... <laughs> if you don't care, you're sitting right here going, I don't care what you're saying, Mitch. You're the one that needs to listen to this lesson all the more. This lesson is for you because you're lacking diligence. I cannot imagine anyone being indifferent to the Word of God. I cannot imagine anyone ever saying, I don't care. Because you cannot say, Lord, I love you, and say, I don't care at the same time. Unless you're willing to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Unless you're willing to become a workmanship of God that, that He really is in control of your life. And you're wanting to give Him all of your life, diligently. This isn't going to mean anything to you. And it's difficult enough for those that want to change. It's difficult enough for those who love the Lord and try to serve Him to give all diligence. Imagine when you're not. And so that's where this list comes in. If you do love the Lord, and you're sincere about it, and you're sincere about growing in the Lord, then I want you to look at this list one last time before we close. Go back to Second Peter. Look at chapter 1. And notice what is being said here in verse 5 again. Just as was read by Terry this morning. Can you be diligent in these things, brethren? You can. But we've got to walk in the Spirit. The Lord has got always been in the forefront of our mind. Always. Brethren, when that happens, then we are able to understand the true knowledge of Him and what He has done for us. And we're able then to always give Him the glory. We're always able to give Him all diligence because, well, that's what He wants from us. He wants us to have His Son living in Him. I mean, living in us. He wants none of our lives and all of His life in us. That's the way we have, have all those things that are found in Second Peter 1. That's the way we give Him all diligence.